0: Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. And I am your host, one last time, Father David Mowry, chaplain of the Movies by Minutes community. I'm honored to be joined on this Friday episode by a very special guest, a man I have known all his life, my brother, Trevor Mowry. Hi, Trevor. Hello. I am so glad to have finally
1: gotten my foot in the door of the hallowed halls of the Movies by Minutes podcast. And, you know, I'm proud to say that I got my big break the old-fashioned way, through a family connection and not based on anything as, you know, lowly or common
0: as merit or expertise (laughs) or really anything relevant to this entire process. So thank you. Listen, nepotism has worked for hundreds of years, so why should we change things now? (laughs) I mean, who would we be and how presumptuous could we be if we we tried to change it? But generations of podcasters before us have relied (laughs) upon their family members. The founding fathers
1: of podcasting always intended it to be this way. (laughs) As I start to sweat along my hairline. (laughs) Just
0: just as God intended. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for uh, coming on to talk about the best years of our lives and to uh, talk about Minute 60 in particular. Uh, Minute 60 begins with Peggy saying, no, she doesn't have a husband. And it ends with Fred saying he didn't know that his wife has a blank dun 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 what could it be so uh, Trevor just first question for you what's your history with this movie the best years of our lives Uh, my history with this movie is that you told
1: me that you were uh, part of this project for (laughs) podcasting it and said hey would you like to come on there may be someone else who's going to come on but if they don't would you like to be the person who comes on And then I thought, well, maybe that
0: man behind the curtain. Right.
1: Then uh, when eventually uh, I was invited to come on, then I thought, well, maybe I should perhaps watch this movie. So my history is recent, shall we say. (laughs) Um, I enjoyed it overall. Uh, I thought there were many really um, effective moments. Uh, I'm not ashamed to admit that I uh, had tears in my eyes several times throughout this movie. Uh, Really? What what was it that got to you? Um I, one of the biggest ones was when um Homer arrives home the way his family greets him mm-hmm. the way that's written the, the scoring with the music the um the acting from his entire family um it was really effective i mean and it's uh i mean it's it's not necessarily the most surprising in terms of where the plot goes but i think the movie avoids any kind of um clichés Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, it's well written so that you still enjoy it. I think even though, you know, um, yeah, you can kind of tell like uh, in this minute in particular, it's like, it's pretty obvious who the movie is setting up to kind of get together by the end. Um, Yep.
0: Millie and Homer all the way.
1: (laughs) We all saw it coming. (laughs) Well, I mean, that gets into, we'll get into it in this minute, but, uh, I mean, I, I like this minute from, the standpoint of the writing and the acting and everything that you see on screen the only thing that kind of undercuts it for me uh is that the ages of all the actors make it a little confusing (laughs) um so you know uh you know maybe homer and millie could have gotten together because all all the actors seem to be um uh if not the wrong age then you know kind of of an age that where their their character doesn't maybe make as much sense (laughs) i mean like right off the bat in this minute uh when peggy says yeah i don't have a husband and um fred uh says well i guess you haven't had a whole lot of time uh i looked it up teresa Wright, the actress she was in her mid to late 20s uh when this was filmed and i think she was like 28 when the movie came out that's not i mean uh by our standards today that's not you know that old to be unmarried but for the 1940s, it's like well, you not know, going up there. It's being a little generous of Fred saying she hasn't had time, you know.
0: Right. Well, that's that's a bit, been a question I have asked throughout uh, this week and last week. How old do you think Peggy is? Because we saw <laughs> Rob be late for school, and Peggy is getting ready for work in the hospital. So obviously she's not going to school. So she's older than high school age. She's it's- the chief of surgery at the hospital. <laughs> Wow. I mean, <laughs> I, well, I mean, that's very impressive to advance that far. But I mean, it is wartime assumption. and a lot of our boys are, are over there fighting <laughs> a the good fight. So someone has to be the chief of surgery. Right. Yeah. You know,
1: why not Peggy? <laughs> why not? Exactly. We can I guess, do it. I guess she never goes by Dr. Peggy.
0: Well, I mean, she's at home with her family. She doesn't want to force that kind of formality on everyone. She wants to put <laughs> right. Fred at ease. He had a, He's coming back from the war. Maybe he wants to transition out of that military stuff, doesn't want to go buy titles or anything. She's just filling him out, let him do things at his own pace. Oh, you're a captain, huh? That's cute. <laughs> I've been a doctor for 12 years. I've been up to my elbows in men's guts for the last five years. Let me <laughs> tell you, I've seen some stuff. Well, you were just up in your plane pressing buttons. <laughs> I was down here saving lives in Boone City. Oh, man, I want that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Peggy. <laughs> Well, I I, I don't think Peggy can be any older than uh, 20, 21. I mean, she's old enough to
1: drink because her dad drags her along for their (laughs) huge bender the night before. (laughs) He sure does. (laughs) Well, and uh, uh, that brings me to maybe the biggest question that I had arising from this minute. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, there's that moment uh, in the conversation where... Um, you know, when Fred's asking, you know, why, why she hasn't been engaged or anything, what's wrong with the guys in this town? Mm -hmm. And she
0: says, well, I guess the best of them are already married, which kind of, she looks Fred directly in the eye when she says that. Right. Which raises the question, is Fred one of the best of them?
1: At least, you know, I think Peggy thinks so. But I mean, I I went back and watched the 20 minutes or so leading up to this. Which, by the way, is another thing that I like about this movie is that it takes time for all these little moments mm-hmm. that no movie uh, this these days would ever take the time for. Um, I mean, just the fact that it's 20 minutes between when Peggy and Fred meet for the first time. Right. And this scene is kind of amazing. But, um, you know, she when she meets Fred, he's already half in the bag. Right. And then just more than half, I think. Right. Goes from half in the bag to blackout drunk (laughs) by the time they get him home. Hmm. Uh, And then he wakes up and I guess Peggy keeps an iron in her uh, bathroom because his uniform is still nicely pressed um, at breakfast.
0: But look, just because you get blackout drunk doesn't mean you lose your pride as an Air Force (laughs) captain. (laughs) Uh, And then all throughout this breakfast but in this minute in particular he
1: never really apologizes for getting blackout drunk and her and her mom having to you know drag his sorry butt <laughs> all the way back to their place so he has a place to crash
0: there's a lot of midwest politeness going on in these minutes <laughs> what do you mean by that Well, their peggy and millie are I think to me they are obviously put out by what they have had to do for Fred, but they are putting on the nicest show of it. I mean, later on, Millie talks about how uh, when Fred, know, Fred says, "Fred, Fred oh, I must,
1: I must have acted pretty disgracefully last <laughs> and night." Says,
0: no, no, but you could. there is there is a yes inside that no. That right. I, I you and I, having been raised in the Midwest, can very clearly hear. <laughs> Where I am too polite to say yes to your face, so I'm gonna say no while also implying yes. But
1: we all know that you're a miserable slob.
0: <laughs> and you were a big disgrace. But I right. mean it's
1: it should be on Fred to say, Hey, I'm I'm really sorry, I'm embarrassed that I got uh, so
0: wasted. That... Well, and yet, and yesterday, Fred doesn't. He he wants to know if he got out of line, and I I talked which about which he did, that, which he absolutely did. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that yesterday, and <laughs> Peggy again
1: oh, is being no. very <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> oh, oh, no, oh, oh my goodness! Is it the ghost of Teresa Wright joining us on the podcast? Oh my thank goodness!
1: Thank you, thank you. I've been working so hard on this Teresa Wright impression. <laughs> Oh, no, Fred.
0: Oh, oh that's on unc- on oh, Would you like some eggs? <laughs> yeah, so both Peggy and Millie are being very uh demure about it where they they're they're, tr- they're not trying to embarrass Fred with just how bad things got. And although, I mean, there is something to be said that um <laughs> that
1: Al has certainly uh um set the bar pretty high for uh, (laughs) (laughs) for embarrassingly drunken behavior.
0: So Uh, by comparison, you know, Fred's uh, Fred's keeping it locked down. Oh, my gosh, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. Now, of course, it's been a couple years since they've seen their father and husband. But last night, I'm sure, was a reminder. Oh, right. This is dad, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) He's more dad than ever now. (laughs) Dadlier. More drunk. But anyway, I mean,
1: so Peggy's entire knowledge of Fred up to this point includes drunkenness, um, what seems to be a post-traumatic stress flashback. Yes. uh, And then, you know, sheepish... Uh, sobriety in the morning. Um,
0: and looking really cute in that uniform.
1: Well, you know, when you put the uniform appearance on one end of the scale and all that other stuff <laughs> on the other side of the scale, it does wind up being perfectly balanced. <laughs> so that's a really good point. And obviously, obviously I think um, we, the audience, and Peggy feel very sympathetic towards Fred and this predicament that he's in where he can't get a hold of his wife right and um and certainly uh we can sympathize with the experiences that he's been through and and the and the way he's still carrying that but that I don't know that that all that put together really puts him into you know hubba hubba um you know the, he's one of the best of them
0: Yeah, maybe this is one categories. of those um those uh oh what's it called uh kind of nurse syndrome kind of things where she has taken care of this man in his time of need and that kind of motherly affection uh inclines her towards further romantic interest there is definitely i mean the poor women in all of these relationships in
1: this movie uh there is definitely uh maternal cast to all of them with homer al and fred yes um, in a way i mean with homer it, it makes sense because you know he genuinely needs assistance right uh in a way that most men don't but you know with uh with fred and al i mean sheesh peggy and <laughs> millie have to be the grown-ups all the time while fred and uh, fred and al kind of
0: just uh cut loose Right, well, and that that makes Marie, Fred's wife, who we only hear a little bit about in mm-hmm. this minute, who we haven't met yet. It makes Marie's character stand out all the more, because Marie right. is a little different from Peggy and Millie. Oh, just a little bit, but just, y- just a coach. You know, in some ways,
1: I don't want to, um, you know, encroach on the territory of those minutes for whoever will be talking about them. Oh, but, of course not. We I mean, want, we
0: don't want to steal anyone's thunder when it comes to talking about Virginia Mayo.
1: <laughs> no but i mean in a way it's like out of all those relationships it was like well marie's the most like a, a partner in equal Interesting. You know, she doesn't she doesn't kind of just silently endure uh mm-hmm. her man getting sloshed mm-hmm. uh she goes out and gets a job for herself now there's very obvious things uh that make her a less than ideal partner but um you know she's uh she's not allowing uh fred to kind of uh regress in his adult responsibilities the way i feel like sometimes peggy and millie and even wilma allow their romantic interests to do in this movie. interesting so yeah you've Mm. been put on notice (laughs) fictional characters from a 1946 movie
0: well then we will see how they navigate that uh it It is interesting that the relationship draws so much of our attention in this minute. I just, you know, in my notes, I just have in all caps, IT STARTS. <laughs> yeah, right. Because it's clear that these two characters are going to be seeing a lot of each other in the the rest of the movie. Uh, when I first saw The Best of Our Lives, I could see this love triangle coming a mile away.
1: Oh, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, Fred
0: is deeply in love with the woman that he thinks he married, but he hasn't met his wife after all this time away again. Right. And the first person to really show him kindness and sympathy and understanding is this very nice girl from his, I don't know, friend is a strong word for uh, Fred and Al's relationship. (laughs) Uh, but but, They did ride on a plane together. They did ride in a plane together, and he did pick up his taxi fare. Well, there's that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, then, uh, of course, the other... So it's interesting, you pick up on the relationships in this minute. What I find most distressing about this minute is the waste of breakfast. Because, of course, (laughs) as you know, my personal (laughs) philosophy is that breakfast has the best food. And so Fred is done with his meal after three bites of scrambled egg, one mouthful of toast, and two sips of coffee. Yeah, when he starts to stand up, I mean,
1: obviously... I mean, yes, he's probably got a hangover that no one would envy, but also just kind of from maybe kind of the discomfort of the pause in the conversation. It's like, oh, well, I guess I'm done eating now. But it's it's crazy to me, yeah. You know, not that I've ever been hangover in my entire life myself. Um, for all you kids listening out there, of um, course not. Uh, and k- kids really like listening to podcasts about. Um, <laughs> 70-something-year-old movies, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, But uh, it was... I think
0: you mean almost 80-year-old movies.
1: Uh, Not yet, not yet. (laughs) Um, It was insane to me that Fred took any of those scrambled eggs (laughs) considering how horrible he must have been feeling considering how drunk he was. Yeah, that's like the last thing that I think I would want to eat if I was in that state. Even if they
0: were made with an entire stick of butter? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm not sure anything would help, mm. <laughs> but it's true. It's true, and but Myrna Lloyd comes in and, and puts a stop to that, at least, or she tries to.
0: Right. No, yeah. I mean, but but isn't it awkward when you're over at your friend's house as an adult and you don't know what to call your friend's mom? Well, this moment was a relief to me. Oh yeah, because at this point, even though this is
1: minute sixty, I was still having a very hard time keeping track of all the characters' names. Because they seem to be very generic uh, post war names. And ah. um, so I was rooting so hard for Millie to reintroduce herself in that moment. <laughs> I mean she said Millie is
0: you know Millie's who I am. the or, name Millie's
1: the name. I was like, Yes,
0: thank you, Millie. <laughs> okay, Millie, Millie, Millie. Her name is Millie. Well what I what I so yes, that that was great. I also appreciate when the characters reintroduce themselves because so many movies just throw the name at you in the first five minutes and expect you to remember it. Right. And you know you know, for a movie that's starring The Rock, I can never remember The Rock's character's name because it's always The Rock. Does The Rock and, ever play a character who's not The Rock? Fair point. Uh <laughs> And so here, I was just thinking of her as, as Myrna Loy, and like, oh, Millie, right, that's her name. What I love is in that moment is that Fred doesn't even know her last name. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mrs. Uh... <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm, in my,
1: I'm in this corner now. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Myrna Loy should have just let him dangle there for a while. <laughs> no. No, continue. Please. Fill in that blank. I She's, dare you. Make she, my she day.
0: pulls her orange juice out of the fridge and just... Sips <laughs> Just looks at him. Yeah. <laughs> this is what, Fred? <laughs> Go ahead. Because he remembers Al, but he doesn't remember Al's last name. Because that, that's why I hesitate to call them friends. Right. I mean, they know oh, so yeah. little about each other.
1: They're not, yeah. They. I mean, they have kind of that immediate friendship of their shared wartime experiences, and even mm-hmm. just the shared experiences of trying to get home. But it was confusing to me because... Uh, I went on IMDb and looked up when all the the principal actors were born, Yeah, and the closest two in age are Myrna Loy and uh, Dana, what's his last name, the guy who plays Andrews. Fred? Dana Andrews.
0: They're only... Mr. F- uh, Dana is the name. Mr. Dana,
1: yes. Uh, thank <laughs> you. Um, they're only four years apart, I think. Wow. And you see them next to each other, and it's like, yeah, these people look about the same age. Um, so it was kind of, uh, it threw me off for a moment. Um, and it kind of made me wonder, uh, because I think, um, the the guy who plays Al is, I want to say eight years older than Myrna Loy, and then, uh, Dana Andrews is nine years older than Teresa Wright, and... Was if a that train leaves a station
0: going <laughs> <that. laughs> right
1: well, two trains heading uh, in opposite directions, <laughs> one at sixty miles an hour um, and uh I mean I know I know this is kind of a, a normal thing for Hollywood for um an older male lead to have a much younger actress be his uh uh romantic interest on screen. was this the norm for? Uh, for World War II vets though or for relationships outside of the movies I don't know um because hmm. it would have meant that Al was something like a 48 year old sergeant in the army um <laughs> which seems <is> kind of crazy <laughs> cuz I don't think they were reaching up that high uh in the draft.
0: No, I don't think I don't think so either. So we know that he's a manager at the Boone City Bank. So mm-hmm. he's he's established in the his corn career. Bank. Yeah, exactly. Uh established there by the time the war begins. We know he's got a kid who's you know, Rob looks like he's in high school. If if the movie is trying to get me to believe that he's in grade school, nah, not happening. <laughs> uh, junior in high school at the very youngest, maybe senior. So that would mean, I mean, like the oldest that Al could be is, I would say, somewhere in his upper thirties. I mean, he'd be an older sergeant. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I, I can't. I can't put him. I, you know, above forty, that would—I don't know if the army would be so keen on that. But if he went in when he was in his say mid thirties, he would get a lot of guff for being an old man. But right. if yeah. he's if he's getting drafted and he's doing his duty, then can't ask for much more during the war. And then the the rest
1: of his uh, uh, age appearance might be explained by the behaviors that we see him partake in.
0: Well, and, and people aged faster. Back very back. true i mean if you you know you compare say you know my face at age you know thirty to someone uh who you know, like say our grandfathers when they were the same age right well i i would have a baby face compared to how our grandfathers <laughs> looked at the same age
1: you know that brill cream soaks into the scalp <laughs> and just slowly makes its way down the face and then it you know
0: just wreaks havoc i tell you what who knows what was in that stuff now, uh, the other thing that makes uh millie great not only is she gracious to fred but uh she is also willing to throw al under the bus <laughs> <laughs> right yeah <laughs> he fell in with some bad company of butchers and got stinking and the bad company of course is al her husband <laughs>
1: yeah one but that's probably the extent
0: of uh of being upset at al that millie's going to allow herself to display We will see her be long suffering later in the movie, but there is never a moment where she confronts Al about his obvious drinking problem.
1: Well, I mean, none of the character, none of the characters in any of these relationships aside from maybe Homer and Wilma right towards the end really directly or frankly communicate with each other about the issues that affect their relationships. You know, it's, uh, it's, spoiler alert, it's, it's Al who um, kind of throws up the biggest roadblock between Fred and Peggy. Um, and Fred and his wife certainly never really have a frank discussion about the issues affecting them.
0: They never have a Fred discussion either. No. Oh, oh. Hey. <laughs> Look at the time. Oh. Oh, I just feel sick for some reason. Oh wow. This is oh. must be how Fred felt when he woke Here, up this, in the this morning. This will help. <You> know, I, <laughs> I have some pre poured orange juice that's been <laughs> left in the fridge overnight. Oh boy, this orange juice tastes like it's almost eighty years old. <laughs> oh, that, that's just the history you're tasting, son. Uh, please, please no no scrambled eggs. <laughs> Not for me. Oh, well, all right, if uh, if you say so. But yeah, but uh, the the intense conversation around the relationships is really centered around what Peggy and her parents will talk about later in the movie, which honestly impressed me for the movie. Well, this is a very frank and open conversation about a very weird thing. Yeah, that is happening and everyone is handling this very well i mean no plates are being thrown no no one's being disowned from the family um wow We're talking about when peggy point blank says i'm going to break up that marriage <laughs> wait or does she say that there i oh, saved Oh, listeners you'll have to tune in in future episodes of the best minutes podcast to find right. out but that i think that's where the um how would i put it investment in the relationship and the the openness of communication is really on display that i thought spoke really well to the family relationship within the stevenson household yes al is an alcoholic but overall i think the stevensons are one of the better movie families that i've come across
1: yeah the way they're able to actually talk through these things together it was yeah that's a really great moment
0: and it just made me think
1: Is Al short for alcoholic?
0: Hmm. Alcoholic Stevenson. Millie really should have known this was coming. He never had a chance.
1: (laughs) Al, what's Al short for?
0: (laughs) Uh, nothing, dear. Never you mind. My goodness, it's like we've had the entire cast of the best years of our lives on the podcast. This is incredible. I
1: I did study the movie very closely. I'll,
0: I'll say, my goodness. So uh, and I'll did,
1: prove it to you by doing the entire movie with all the parts, uh just the audio from the top. Here we go. <laughs> da, da, dee, da, da, wah, wah. These are the great
0: now, now, now that that raised the question, what did you think of the music in this movie?
1: It was great. Uh I am a a classical musician. Um you know, I, I saw my uh my dear brother, follow a vocation, a vocation into the priesthood. And so mm. I thought, you know what? Rather than do something like that, I'm going to do something lucrative. So I'm going to go into <laughs> classical music.
0: <laughs> the oboe specifically. Yes,
1: the oboe specifically. Uh, I'd never heard uh, a score by this particular uh, composer before, whose name I looked up. Hugo Friedhofer, I think, I want yes. to say. Okay, I'm glad I got that right. Hugo Friedhofer. Um And I I saw that he won an Academy Award for Best Original Score for this movie, which is amazing, um, especially considering that he beat out uh, other Hollywood movie legends like Bernard Herrmann and William Walton. Um, Yeah. Really great. And I was really looking forward to talking about the music, and then I saw the minute that I happened to get, and there's no music at this minute. Whoops. Um, (laughs) But uh, um, if I can geek out for a minute... Please about the music that there's two um two kind of motivic ideas that I think sort of form the bulk of the underscoring in this movie uh and wouldn't you know it? I happen to have an oboe right here, Andy <laughs> <laughs> the the main one uh which are the very first notes that you hear uh when the credits start rolling is um is this ascending gesture. Pardon me. I hear that all over the place in the movie. Um, yeah. Particularly, I think, when the the main characters are either reminiscing or dealing with something uh, from their experiences in the military. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it seems like a pretty obvious nod to TAPS, to me. Right. Bum, ba-bum, ba-ba-bum. Um, it's in the wrong key, uh, but I think it's probably still intentional. Um, it's in mm-hmm. C major. Um, but if I can And what, go...
0: and what key is taps in?
1: Uh, taps is in B-flat. So here's the thing. Um, different instruments, for your listeners who don't know or more likely wouldn't care about such minutiae as this, um, <laughs> different instruments are in different keys. So that means... Like, the oboe's in the key of C. So that means if a C is printed in your part and you play a C on the instrument, the pitch that sounds is a C. Mm -hmm. But a bugle, which is what taps would normally be played on, is typically in the key of B-flat. So you would see, if you were a bugle player, the note printed in your part would be C. The fingering that you would use would be for the note C. But the pitch that would sound, that would actually come out of the instrument, is a B-flat
0: interesting this is
1: done usually to make it easier to uh write out parts for these different instruments
0: right because you have multiple instruments you don't want the key signature to be different for every single line based on what the instrument is
1: or you don't want the part to fall into a range where uh it would be really hard to read if Uh, the part was in c mm -hmm. so um a b flat a bugle that's pitched in B flat playing taps would read the part in the key of C. So it makes me wonder if maybe Hugo Friedhofer um knew that the part would be in C, but didn't know that a bugle would be in B flat, and that's why he wrote it in C major? Or if it's just like, eh, I wanna write it in C, so it's gonna (laughs) be in C. Yeah. Um so in other words, this whole diversion's really pointless. Um but anyway, so it's um I thought it was a really effective use of that because there's obviously a lot of um connotations for military service members with taps. Right. Particularly with fallen comrades um and that really adds a lot of great subtext to all the scenes. And then kind of the counterbalance to that is this descending figure uh which is usually used for any kind of uh, romantic or f- uh, or familial affection that's displayed, mm-hmm. usually something like, mm-hmm. and that descending part at the end, mm-hmm. that interval is all over the place. Whenever there's a scene between two people who are romantically involved, or you know when Homer um, first arrives home with his family. Um, so it's kind of, to me, it's almost that, um, this, this taps derived motive sort of raises this question of how do you, how do you go back to, to your life after you've been through these experiences in the military mm-hmm. and this, this descending motive kind of answers it. It's kind of a nice sort of mirror image Oh, yeah. kind of answers the question. That is raised by the TAPS motive. And the answer, I think, that the movie posits is that it's through um, the love of friends and family and through sort of romantic relationships. That's, That's the way for these people who carry wounds and scars, both seen and unseen. That's how they can sort of heal and kind of come back to the world.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's that's a really great insight into the music. I was talking about the uh, the very specific music cues last week during the nightmare sequence. Ah, uh, yeah, and there are a lot of uh, kind of cyclical patterns last week to indicate Fred being trapped over and over again within this dream and not being able to break out of the, uh, the, the, those scars of war. And those minor key notes change to a major key once Peggy comes in to comfort him.
1: Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and so
0: there's, there's that same pattern where there's the reminiscence of war that is answered by the, the love of the family who welcome you home.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean that's that's the crux of the whole movie and so I, I think that Academy Award for Hugo Friedhofer is so well deserved because I think the music, for the most part, um really uh so successfully picks up on the essential kind of um I don't know if conflict is the right word, but mm-hmm. the the um what it is that the characters are trying to work through or resolve.
0: Yeah and what we've seen the characters work through is the first hour of this movie. We are 60 minutes down with only 110 minutes to go. Is that all? That's all. I mean it's it's a, you know short little <laughs> flick, easy for a Sunday matinee and it it's has tight. It's a uh, tight <laughs> tight film. It's a tight 2 hours and 40 minutes. 50 minutes. Uh, and uh, while while we're still talking about this uh, very tightly crafted movie, uh, Trevor, something I've been asking all of my guests, given that this is a story about veterans coming home from war, uh, if there was anyone in uh, your family that has done any military service, um, in in my family or in right, your in, family well, or in, in our the, yeah, family. Like, <laughs>
1: Well, they, I think the, the closest one to us, um, certainly in, in, terms of, um, in terms of ages, our uncle, Dale, who was mm-hmm. a graduate of West Point and was an officer in the Army for many years. Yeah, served in the Army Corps of Engineers. Yeah, and um, uh, very similar to our dad in many ways. Uh, there's definitely a family resemblance there. Um, and um, has always uh, always spoken about his service with a lot of humility. And um, had always had some great stories from his uh, from his years at West Point, um, particularly about the the distribution of pie in the mess hall. <laughs> uh, do you do you want to tell that story? Oh, sure. You're you're probably going to have to help me remember it. So uh, every every night after dinner, pie would be served, and it was up to the most junior uh, cadet, I believe, at the table to slice the pie and distribute it to everyone. And there was a, a strict protocol for who got which slice when. And the slices had to be all exactly equivalent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, the, and the cadets would keep a little, like, template under their covers in their, in their hats that would allow them to really get perfect slices.
0: Because you had to change the proportions based on how many people were sitting at the table.
1: Right, right, Yeah.
0: So you needed that template in order to... Okay, there are six, so I cut it this way. There are seven, I have to cut it this way, and so on.
1: Right. So I don't, I don't remember if this happened to Uncle Dale or if he was just there. I think he was just there. Okay. So
0: one poor cadet just made an absolute hash out of slicing up this pie. Because he kept, he kept misapplying the template where he would cut a slice and the template would move and he would cut another slice. And so all the pieces were all different sizes and didn't come back even.
1: So thinking quickly on his feet, he took a fork or a spoon or something and just scrambled up all the contents of the pie and then brought it to the head of the table and said, Pudding ready for inspection. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I don't you, know who would really be satisfied with pudding when you could have pie. <laughs> so I don't. I don't know what happened to that cadet after that, but...
0: I always like that story. Yeah. Uh, The other member of our family uh, with extensive military service is our great-uncle Art. Yes, yeah. He served for many years in the Navy. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh... And was stationed in the Far East
1: for, for many years, right? He
0: was, yeah. Had a lot of souvenirs, uh, not quite. Uh, I, don't, well, I wouldn't put it past Uncle Art to have brought back a samurai sword like Al does. <laughs> but there were always, when the few times that we were at Uncle Art and Aunt Helen's house, there were always tons of knickknacks and souvenirs from Far Eastern cultures. And I remember a big Chinese folding screen that was in their house uh, when we visited them once and now uh, uncle art has passed away and is now buried at arlington national cemetery but uh, he was a very colorful character with a lot of stories from his time out east but you know, i never he- heard him talk about the war itself no me neither well and i was
1: i was so young at the time those those few times that we visited him that you know it was I was at that age where that kind of thing just didn't really register or you know you're too young to think to ask about that kind of stuff so it's, um, it's, a, it's a missed opportunity for sure. He, was, uh, he had um, a lot of really interesting experiences and was sort of the family uh, genealogist too, as I recall, keeping track of the extended family tree.
0: Yeah, he was uh, on the, the Harris side of the Maori family tree. So he had a lot of notes on our dad's mom's family right yeah he was he was uh, our great uncle on our dad's side well that brings us to the end of minute 60 trevor was there anything else that you wanted to talk about this minute or the best years of our lives in general i don't think so uh thank you
1: for introducing this movie to me um it's uh, you know, I, I made a joke about it, but in a lot of ways, I think it really is a tight two hours and 50 minutes, even though it it moves slowly at times There's there's nothing that seems um, superfluous. Yeah. And um, and like I said, it, it the the writing is very um, it does such a great job of keeping you engaged with the story, even though the end result of the plot is one that you can maybe predict. Uh, the way the way you get there makes it a very enjoyable movie experience.
0: And it's been a very enjoyable experience talking about it with you. Thank you for being on the show.
1: Wow, what how slick was that? That's podcasting professionalism right there, <laughs> listeners. And I should know, because this is the first
0: time I've ever been on any <laughs> podcast, so I know what I'm talking about. Well, I... Uh... If you want to hear more uh, podcast professionalism, please stick with us in the Best Minutes podcast. Uh, I'm going to be uh, signing off uh, as your host these last couple of weeks. It's been a pleasure to uh, have talked through these minutes. Uh, coming up next week, we've got the hosts of Point Break Minute who will be talking about everything radical in the best years of our lives. And uh, you can find those episodes and all the episodes of the Best Minutes podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or you can go to the main site at thebestminutes.com. Uh, you can join us for a drink down at Butch's Place. Uh, that's the Best Years of Our Lives Listener's Cafe on Facebook, or you can join in the conversation on Twitter at Minutes. And if this Movies by Minutes world is new to you, there are over 150 Movies by Minutes podcasts that you can find at moviesbyminutes.com. Without a doubt, your favorite movie already has a podcast about it, uh, analyzing it in scrupulous detail. Uh, I I know I introduced this whole world to you, Trevor. What are some of your favorite Movies by Minutes podcasts?
1: Uh, Star Wars Minute is still the biggest one that I listen to. Uh, these days, mostly any other ones that I listen to are ones that you appear as a guest on. So it's nice to get a little, a little smattering here and there, but Star Wars Minute, that's, that's the one that originally got me into it. And I got into that when we were listening to it, uh, while we were hanging out in North Carolina, when, um, when I got married to my lovely wife and you know, we were sharing a room and while we were just kind of yeah. hanging out in the hotel room, I believe it was during the Empire Strikes Back Minute season. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe Asterios Kokonos was on because you can't yes, forget the, that the, voice the one and only Asterios <laughs> Kokonos talking about
0: the prize turkey that uh, the Rogue Squadron member had won by finding Han Solo and Luke Skywalker yeah so you can find the Star Wars Minute and so many other podcasts at MoviesByMinutes.com uh, Trevor anything that you want to plug here on, uh, at the end of the show
1: well, uh, if you're looking to hear me play the oboe a little bit more, you can search for uh, Trevor Oboe on YouTube, and you'll probably find me right away. Um, <laughs> aren't a whole lot of other Trevor's named people named Trevor, rather, who play the oboe? Or oboes named Trevor, probably, <laughs> out there. Uh, I don't have a ton of stuff, but what's there is is yours to enjoy. You can also check out my wife, Laura's woodwind quintet, District 5. I believe their uh, website is district 5 the number 5 quintet.org and they're also on youtube they have an entire album of chopin preludes arranged for woodwind instruments that is really spectacular so check out that
0: stuff enjoy some classical music over the weekend as you wait for the next episodes of this show and please join us here next time on the best minutes podcast Joe, you better hurry up out there, but she's taking off soon.
1: Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.